Hey, y'all. Um, welcome to RUF. My name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister here at RUF at Texas, and um, we're really glad that you're here. Um, we're a new ministry here. Um, RUF, RUF, we believe that um, the, Bible, the Bible actually teaches that what makes someone a Christian isn't their good works for God. Uh, what, it's actually the opposite. What makes someone a Christian, what saves a person, is God's good work for them. Not a Christian's good work for God, it's God's good work for them. Um, and the reason that I believe the Bible teaches that God saves us, it's not just to save people from hell. The reason God saves people is so that they may experience a relationship with Him. Because that's what we were made for. We talked about that last week some, that the Bible suggests and is clear about the claim that all people are made in the image of God. And because of that, because we're made in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Bible claims, that means that we are made in the image of a relational being. A being that exists in relationship with himself. And because of that, because we were made in the image of a relational God, we are fundamentally made for relationships. That's why it's such a big deal to you and to me. And um, tonight I want to talk about the idea of friendship. And look, friendship doesn't, that may not sound like a super exciting topic to you, but it's really important. And it actually, the, the reason it is is because friendship is the beginning and the end of every worthwhile relationship. I'll say that again. Friendship is the beginning and end of every worthwhile relationship. If you want to know more about friendship after I talk about this, I would suggest um, looking at, taking a look at this book. It's called Befriend. It's by a guy named Scott Sauls. A lot of what I'm going to be talking about is from, is from him and also from um, some stuff that I've learned from um, some pastors named Greg Thompson and Matt Howell. Um, but uh, this, this book has just been super helpful for me for thinking about the importance of friendship. I want you all to think about this, though. Um, so John Cacciapo is the director of the Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago. How's that for a title? It's a pretty good title. The director of the Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago. He wrote a book called Loneliness. Listen to what Dr. Carpaccio says about loneliness. He says, when we drew blood from lonely adults and analyzed their white cells, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way their genes were being expressed. In other words, what he is saying is loneliness isn't just something that affects your mood. You're, when you're lonely, your whole body is lonely. Your whole body experiences loneliness. And I think that's because what your body was made for, what you were made for, is relationship and friendship. So what we're going to talk about um, tonight is four points, but they'll all be brief, I promise. Um, the hindrances to friendship, the practices of friendship, friendship's relevance to dating, because we're going to talk some about dating in, in this series, and fourthly, the power of friendship. Hindrances of friendship, practices of it, its relevance to dating, and the power of friendship. 
Um, so this passage that Elizabeth just read, Jesus is with his disciples, and it's the last night he's going to be with them before he goes to the cross. It's the Thursday night before Good Friday when Jesus dies on the cross. He's about to be arrested. He knows he's about to die. And so he's telling them the things that's really important to him, that he really wants them to know. And so he begins talking about what is it going to look like for you guys to be productive? What's it going to, like, here's the thing that I want for you so that you can be fruitful disciples. Now he doesn't start talking about you have to have pristine theology. Or you better go and like witness to a million people. What he says, what I want you guys to do This is what I want you to do, to be a fruitful person, to be a productive person. Love each other. Love each other, because it's what you were made for. It's what we were made for, too. So we're going to talk about friendship tonight. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you that you have made us for friendship, which is fun, but also hard. Uh, Thank you for our friends. I pray that even as we um, learn from your word tonight, that you would help us to consider ways that we can be better friends. But I also pray, Lord, that we would see how you have made yourself a friend to sinners. And we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first, what are the hindrances to friendship? And I kind of want to throw out three of them to you. And this isn't like all-inclusive of everything, but a couple observations. One, one of the hindrances to, to us not being good friends, because we aren't, we're not good at friendship. And one of the reasons we're not is because our culture is kind of completely geared against friendship. You see, we live in the most individualistic society in the history of mankind. Now, there's actually a lot of really beautiful things that have come from that since the Enlightenment. I don't want to get super philosophical with you, but like, since the Enlightenment, like, there has been um, a, a kind of like new birth of people understanding the importance of freedom and liberty and individual rights, and our country is kind of an, a beautiful experiment of that for all of its you know, glory and warts. That is, we're, we're like enjoying the fruit of that. But... Behind that, one of the things that, like, I guess, comes into the water of the way that we view friendship then is that we bring our individualism into our friendships. In other words, what I'm saying is because of the culture that we were raised in, the narrative that you have been told your whole life, that I was told my whole life, is that the most important person in your life is you. That your life is, and, and oh my gosh, college is totally like that. Like college is about like finding out who you're going to be and what you're going to do and who, what you're going to study and who your friends are going to be and having, this is the greatest four years of your life and it's about you, 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 you. But what ends up happening when you focus on you, 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 you is you actually just end up with you. And that's lonely. What, and, and what we do then because we, you take our individualism and you also take the reality that we are the most advertised to people ever. No one's ever been advertised to more than you. And you know what these advertisements are telling you? Is that all of these things in the world exist 
for you, for your happiness, if you can have them. I don't, there's like an old Burger King commercial, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. Have it your way. You know, so, it's an older commercial, but that was like a new idea. Like it used to be, it was like, sorry, like scrape the pickles off if you don't like pickles. But Burger King was like, no, please let us have it your way because your happiness is what's most important. And that's kind of what a lot of advertising narratives are telling us. And so you bring that into the water of somebody who already is living out this story that like the individual self is the most important. And so what that means is that we end up treating people as if they were consumer goods. We end up treating people as if they existed for our good. And so when we consider, like, am I going to be a friend with this person? Is this person going to be in my fraternity or sorority? Well, how do they look? How do they make us look? Where are they from? Are they funny? Are they boring to be around? Are they going to entertain us? They're going to make us look good. And look, independent students, y'all do the same thing. Um, is this person going to make our, um, our debate team really great or not? If it's going to be bad, they're not in. Does this person sing well? They sing well enough for our choral team? If not, they're out. Because they have to make us look good. Or we even do this on the individual level. Like, did, a lot of times we will even judge like if we're going to hang out with someone again based on whether or not we had fun with them the, the time before or whether or not they were funny or whether or not they were considerate or whether or not they were a good friend because fundamentally what we believe is that people exist for our good and that is a hindrance to friendship because what Jesus is talking about is just the opposite do you see what he says? the greatest kind of love the greatest kind of friendship is to lay down your life for your friend. To actually view your life as something that is for them instead of their life being for you. And so another hindrance to friendship, another reason it's hard for us is because, as Jesus says, it's costly. It costs something to be a good friend. To lay down your life for them. Now, you probably are never going to like jump in front of an incoming bullet for your friend and like die for them that'd be pretty epic but like i don't think that's going to happen but what i think jesus is getting at more so is do you know what feels like dying sometimes is giving away your time to someone when you're really busy or um, sitting with somebody who is hurting when you'd rather be out having fun or giving your energy to the person who is just kind of an energy suck. It's costly. But thirdly, friendship is hard, and we talked, I'll just touch on this briefly because we talked about this a lot last week. But friendship is hard because we're ashamed of ourselves. And so we hide from one another. Like, we, what shame is, we talked about this last week, is that we don't want people to know the real us because we're ashamed about who the real us is. And so what we end up doing is we go really shallow with our relationships. 
because we're afraid if that person ever really knew me, they would reject me. They wouldn't want me. They wouldn't want to be my friend. And so, we're afraid to tell people who we really are. And even, we're afraid to like, tell people how we really feel about them. That we like, actually love them. There's only two times that that ever really happens. Have you ever noticed? In, like, people will tell each other how much they love them at their weddings. You know, at like, the rehearsal dinner at the wedding when everyone's maybe had something to drink and they're like feeling good about the situation. They just want to tell each other how much they love them because like this is it. You're about to get married tomorrow. And like they're just, you know, there's always the uncle who like shouldn't be talking. And he talks on and on and on. You know, this whole. So we tell people how much we love them at weddings and then at funerals when they're already dead. And all the space in between, we really are so uncomfortable telling people that we really love them and care for them. Do you know why that is? I, I, really, I think it's because we're ashamed. Because we're afraid that if we tell them that, that they're not going to reciprocate. Um, I, we, we have a leadership team with RUF. And like the first, our first leadership team meeting, I was like, hey, it'd be really fun if we all like, y'all like, um, let's spend some time like telling each other like the things that we really see God working in each other's lives and like affirm each other like awesome things that we admire about one another. And the room was like silent for a long time. And eventually someone, like, spoke up because, like, awkward silence. You know, you don't want But it's hard. It's hard because we're ashamed. It's hard to pursue people. Like, being the person who starts the hangout is so, it's so much more fun to be texted than to text. You know, to, to be the invited instead of the inviter because we are afraid of people rejecting us. And so we sit back and we wait. We sit back and we wait for somebody to initiate with us. And what ends up happening is everyone's just sitting back and waiting and hoping that someone will actually move towards them. The good news of the gospel is that's exactly what God does with us, is he moves towards us. I'm getting ahead of myself a second, though. The practices of friendship. All right. A few quick practices of friendship. First, companionship. Companionship. This is living alongside people during really ordinary times so that when extraordinary things happen in their lives, you're there for them. Um, this means like having, just doing life with people. Like sitting in a room and just being with them. Like, do you have people in your life that you can do that with? Do you have anyone in your life that if you sit in the car with them and you don't talk for two minutes and they don't talk for two minutes, you're not like dying inside? But you're just kind of with them because that's what you do. We need that. We need to be that for one another. Here's the thing, maybe you're sitting here, like, and you're going to hear me talk about, like, the practices of friendship, and you're going to think, like, well, no one's doing that for me. How can I get that? The way you get this is by doing it for somebody else, by being a friend first, by, by stopping to looking at people as something to take from, and instead, someone to give to. Companionship. Secondly, 
confession, telling the truth about yourself. Is there anyone who really knows you? Who, like, really knows you? Uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they, one of the sayings they like to use a lot, which I think is brilliant, is we're only as sick as the secrets we keep. We're only as sick as the secrets we keep. How sick are you? Because what we're afraid of is that if we told our secrets that we would be rejected. But look, this is where the gospel comes in and really frees me. Because the good news of the gospel is that God knows your secrets. He knows you. He knows them and he's already made the payment for them. He's already loved you. And as we said a couple weeks ago, that Jesus, when he dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. The payment for your shame, the payment for your guilt, for your sin, for the things that you want to be hidden, it's been paid for and it's finished. And so because it's finished, because God has known you and he's loved you, other people can too and you can do that for each other. Third, this is actually, you're going to think like I'm being weird when I say this, but this is actually a healthy practice of friendship confrontation. Some of you, I'm putting myself in this category, are completely conflict averse. Like you're scared to have conflict. And the reason you're scared is because you're afraid like if I say anything like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to hate me and everyone hates me, then I'm going to shrivel up into a hole and die because like everyone has to love me. Ah!" Like that's what we do, conflict averse people. But a healthy part a healthy part of a friendship is actually being able to speak truth to people. But it has to be truth with love. So just speaking truth to people can be like, yikes, <laughs> right? That can be harsh. It's got to be truth with love. Because that's what God does with us. That's, it's, God doesn't just dismiss the things that are wrong about us. But he still loves us and accepts us, and because he loves us and accepts us, he begins to work in our lives to take those things out that are actually hurting us, that are actually bad for us. This is like, um, this is what, if you've ever been part of um, when, when somebody has an addiction and you have to have an intervention for them. I don't know if you know, if you've ever watched the TV show Intervention or My Strange Addiction, whoa, that is an amazing show. Have y'all seen that? Okay. The person who like eats the couch? Yeah. Um, Anyway, YouTube, it's great, but sad. Um, anyway, what an intervention is, is coming to somebody and saying, look, we love you, but this thing is killing you. And because we love you, we hate that thing that's killing you, that's hurting you. And so we're going to tell you. Like, that's kind of an extreme version, but some of you probably, you need to have like a, confront, like a healthy, good confrontation with your roommate like tonight, probably. Some of you are looking at your roommates right now. I'm good. This is, this is good. This is like going to start, maybe. But a healthy confrontation, but the reason that you can do it if you're a Christian is because you have already been loved by God, and you don't have to stay silent for fear of being rejected by your friends, you can love them and speak truth to them. And what you need is people to speak truth to you too. 
because we have blind spots. We have things we don't know about ourselves. When Christian and I, Christian and I went to Cleveland, the reason I'm wearing this Cleveland Indians hat is I'm married into a rabid Cleveland Indians fan um, family. It's the reason my wife isn't here. She's watching the game right now. She's watching us lose, sadly. She'll be crying when I get home. Um, but uh, she does. She cries when we lose. It's, all, it's really sweet. Um, but uh, when we were on our, we went on to the first two games in Cleveland earlier uh, last week. And while we were there, I said, hey, will you tell me, I want you to, I was like, I want you to think and pray about this, but I want you to tell me, like, if you could change one thing about me, what would you change? And I needed her to tell me what she told me. I needed that. Um, she, was, she, she thought about it, and she was like, you know what, I really, we need you to be disciplined in our family. Like, for our kids, and for me, and for my sanity, <laughs> For your sanity, we need you to be disciplined. I needed to hear that. It was a blind spot for me. I need that. Um, fourth, a fourth practice of friendship. I kind of already touched on this, but celebration. Celebrating your friends. You, are y'all noticing these all start with C? Isn't that great? Companionship, confession, confrontation, celebration. I usually don't do that. I'm so proud of myself. Anyway, celebration. Um, it is so good to look across the table from somebody and be like, man, I really, I'm so thankful about this from you. It's, there's there's a, been a couple groups of students that I've been meeting with weekly, and there's a group of guys. It, it's like blown my mind to watch this happen in them as we've like sat together and practiced listening to each other and practiced friendship. And when we end, they look across the table from each other and say, I love you. I love y'all. And like, that, that's just like what we need. We need people to celebrate, not, and, and not just to say I love you, but like, this is why I love you. And they do that. And y'all need that. Y'all need to do that. I need that. And finally, commitment. Willingness to be with your friends in the good and the bad. I saw, so I have a friend named Josh Eby. Um, he's a pastor here in Austin, and <laughs> two summers, we used to live in their neighborhood. Two summers ago, so Christy and I took the kids on like a month-long trip. We were gone. We were going to be out of the house for a month, and our house is usually a wreck. Like, if you've been to our house, you think it's clean. It's not. It's hardly ever clean. We clean it up before you come over to our house. Spoiler alert. But um, we had like, clean, we cleaned up everything and part of that meant, like, we are going to be gone for a month. So, like, we have, at the time, we had three people in diapers in our house. So we, like, empty out all the, like, diaper trash bags in all the rooms. We put them all in the garbage cans. We get everything, like, cleaned out. All the, like, food that's going to spoil cleaned up because we're going to be gone for a month. The last thing we ask our neighbor before we leave is, hey, can you guys, like, take our garbage to the street when the garbage comes? And they're like, yeah, sure, totally. We get back... We've been gone all of July in Austin. Yeah, you know where this is going. Oh, and by the way, we had given them our garage door opener because we didn't want our garbage to be out, so they had, we left the garbage cans in the garage so they could open the garage door, like pull it out. We opened up the garage door, and I, I like see it before I smell it because the doors aren't like, open yet, and there's just like flies like buzzing around this trash can that's been sitting there for a month with three 
tiny humans' diapers in there for a month. I opened up the trash can, and it was like a science experiment happening inside this trash Like, I'm not, there were like 10,000 maggot eggs in the trash can, at least, probably more. And <laughs> so, like, the trash isn't coming for like five more days. And I don't know what to do, except I really want to go over and like punch my neighbor's door down and tell them what they did, but it's okay, we're going to love them, right? Healthy confrontation, John. Um, so I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, Chris, he's like, do you have any friends who have a truck who can like help us just like get this out of here? And so I called Josh. He has a truck, and they live down the street from us. Josh comes with his son, Caleb, and he sees what, first off, he like dies laughing when he sees what's happened to our trash can. Then he proceeds to load up my, tr- my trash can into his truck, drive it to the church dumpster, and then he jumps out and picks up the trash can and like starts loading stuff out of the trash can, the bags, out of the trash can into the dumpster. Like throwing, like, and it's nasty. Like there's bugs going everywhere. And he's, he cleaning it up. But, but like the problem is like even after we clean it out, like all the, the eggs are like glued to the, to the top of the, like the inside lid of the garbage can, like thousands of eggs. So he's like, hey, I have a pressure washer back at my house. Let's go back to my house. He takes me back to his house, and like 11 o'clock at night, he, they had just hosted an event at their house. He's standing out in his like flip-flops, pressure washing my garbage can, cleaning my garbage can. The man preached a sermon the next day and fed me the Lord's Supper. I was like, dude, did you wash your hands? But he was like, but I still have this image in my head of, like, him in the trash can, like, in the dumpster, like, picking up stuff and throwing it in and, like, getting everything set up. And, like, in his flip-flops, pressure washing, and I'm just thinking, like, that is friendship. Like, standing in someone's junk with them and helping them clean it out because you're committed to them. That's friendship, All right, <clears throat> how is this relevant to your dating life? Um, look, if you're thinking about dating someone, my best advice to you is that a really, well, not my best advice, but we get my best advice in the coming weeks, but an important piece of advice. If you're thinking about dating someone, look at what kind of friendships they have. And I'm talking about like friendship, like if you're thinking about dating a girl, look at her other friendships that she has with girls. What's her best friendships like? Because ultimately, what marriage is, is a big friendship. I know some of you are sitting here thinking like, that's not what marriage is. Marriage is a romance. I can't wait to get married because marriage is romance. Um, you know what, <laughs> my friend Matt, told, he, used to, he, he uses this illustration, it's so good, he's, he loves hot sauce, he pours hot sauce on everything, um, like everything, like his eggs, his pizza, probably his donuts, like everything, but he said, you know, if, he's like, if I ate, if 98% of my diet was hot sauce, and the other 2% was actual food, I would die, because that would not be healthy, and like, you maybe think that 98% of marriage is the hot sauce of romance, and the other 2% is friendship, but it's the opposite. 
marriage is not romance sprinkled with a little bit of friendship. It is friendship sprinkled with romance. Marriage is friendship sprinkled with romance. So if you're thinking about who am I going to date or who am I going to marry, you should, you should date someone who you think that you would be really good friends with. Like maybe you have another, maybe you have like, maybe you're a girl who has like a really good guy friend or you're a guy with a really good girlfriend. Maybe you should date that person. <laughs> Did I just make things awkward? Good. No, but, or, because, I mean, can I be honest with you for a second too about this? Like, all guy-girl relationships in college have an expiration date. I know you're like, I know you, some of you disagree with me probably about that. That's fine, you can disagree with me. But like, I had friends who were girls in college, and they were awesome, and I enjoyed hanging out with them, but I never called them anymore. Because I'm 32, and I have four kids, and they have a husband and kids, and it would be totally weird if I called Sarah Mashburn and was like, hey, like, remember when we watched Napoleon Dynamite? Like, wasn't that awesome in college? Like, let's get together and watch it again sometime and, like, talk about old times. That would be bizarre. Because guy-girl relationships, they, they, while they are, are fun and nice and good, they have an expiration date. And they will, they will typically end either in, like, marriage or pain. So maybe you should ask your friend on a date. Or maybe you should look at the person that you're thinking about asking on a date and see what their friends are like. See what her friendships are like. All right, that's my little side note about... Oh, actually, one more thing. This is great. The reason that you should look at what their friendships are like is because friendship looks like... Jesus has just said, friendship is laying down your life for another. So... Um, two of my friends in college, Jordan and Mary Catherine, they, uh, at Vanderbilt, there's like a, <laughs> there's like a place where people go to make out. I don't know if that exists here. If it does, I would love to know. Someone tell me. But, um, uh, there was this place at Vanderbilt called Love Hill, and it's like my old necking place, you know, like for like, my, my parents probably made out there. They went to Vanderbilt, but well, that's weird. Sorry. Um, but Jordan and Mary Catherine went to Love Hill late in the evening, and while they were there, it's this big hill, it looks, overlooks the city, it's really beautiful, there's like no lights out there, and they're out there and they're talking, talking, and um, out of nowhere, a man appears with a gun and points it at Mary Catherine as he's walking up and he's like give me all of your like give me all your money and Jordan like instinctually like jumps on top of her and blocks her from the man and like reaches into her purse gives the money reaches into his pocket gives the money and like stays in between the two of them and Mary Catherine was like I knew that moment that I wanted to marry him and they they're married now they live here in Austin we're like really good friends with them they have three kids um, but she knew she wanted to marry him when she saw that he was ready to lay down his life for her. Look, look at the friendships of the person that you're thinking about dating and see, is, does he or does she lay down his life for people? Maybe not actually, but are they sacrificial with their time? Do they... And do you, know, do you know what causes people to lay down their life for one another when someone has laid down their life for them? This is the power of friendship. 
that Jesus Christ, while we were his enemies, laid down his life for us and made us his friends if you're, if you're a Christian. That's the truth of the gospel. That Jesus takes his enemies and he makes them friends. There's a man, uh, a documentary was recently done about him. His name is Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is a blues musician. He's played with people like Chuck Berry, Little Richard. Daryl Davis also is um, known for, mostly known for, um, his friendships that he has made with members of the KKK and other white supremacist groups. And the reason that Daryl Davis is well known is because he's a black man. Daryl Davis, for 30 years, has gone about getting to know members of the KKK on a personal level. He finds out who they are. He invites them to lunch. He gets to know them. He listens to them. He listens to their point of view. And 200 members of the KKK have given Daryl Davis their old KKK robes because they have left the Ku Klux Klan because of their relationship with Daryl. And the fun, he, this is what he says. He says, I never set out to convert anyone, but in my quest to get to know them, some of them end up converting themselves. What converts them is not him getting in their face and telling them how wrong and idiotic they are. He listens to them, and he befriends them. He does that to his enemies. And that is what Jesus has done for you. He came and became a man. God became a man. A, a no-name, nobody man. For 30 years, nobody even knew who he was. He was just fixing people's tables and chairs. Like someone walked into Joseph's carpentry shop with a broken table, and Joseph's son, this little boy from Nazareth, fixed it, gave it back to him, and that person walked out the door. You ever thought about that? Like Jesus came and he lived with us. He befriended us so that he could rescue his enemies. He says in verse 15 of our passage, I have called you friends. Remember what they're about to do? These guys, the next night, they're going to fail him. They're going to leave him. They're going to run out on him. And Jesus looks across the table from them and he says, you're my friends. And how, so how can you be a fruitful person? How can you be a productive person? What Jesus wants is says, you're my friends and I want you to love each other. That's it. I want you to love each other. We know that this is important. Like, if you have ever been to a funeral and heard a eulogy, have you ever noticed what people talk about? They don't, they don't talk about someone's resume at a funeral. They don't say, oh, he was, the, he was a great CEO, and he, like, really got our fourth quarter prices up, you know, our profits up, and before he came in, like, we were really having a tough time, but then he changed the price scale, and, like, we got the shipping price down. No one talks about resume stuff at a eulogy. They talk about who you love. Because deep down, that's what you were made for. But isn't it funny, what is, what is it that we spend time, our time on? We spend our time on the resume virtues instead of the eulogy virtues. What Jesus is saying is spend time on the eulogy virtues. Love people. That is what fruitfulness looks like. That is what pr true productivity looks like, is friendship. And so what God does 
the way he's productive when he comes and becomes a man is he befriends people. All kinds of people. From all kinds of races. From all kinds of socioeconomic classes. He befriends them. Because God is for all those people. It's for you. It's for everyone. So, what John says in 1 John 4.19, we love because Christ first loved us. My friend Nick tells an um, illustration, I'll close with this, about how, this, how the friendship of God is so different than the other worldviews and religions. For instance, think, he, he said, Nick says this, imagine you've fallen down a deep pit, your legs are broken, a deep, deep pit, your legs are broken, you're unable to move. This is what the human condition is like, by the way, if we're honest with each other. We're broken, we're alone, we're unable to help ourselves. Other worldviews or religions would tell you something like this. How, how do you get out of your predicament? Well, take deep breaths and pretend that the pit isn't there. Or maybe, maybe you did something in your previous life that got you in that pit. Or everyone's pit is relative. Or uh, this world is a survival of the fittest and you lose because you're in the pit. Or the pit's not that deep. You can actually climb out even though your legs are broken and it's hundreds of feet deep. So what the gospel claims is that there was a man who came along and he said, you're in a deep pit and I'll climb down and rescue you. It's what a true friend does. And then it's what Jesus calls us to do is to get into the pit with people. To get into the pit with people and love them. To, to be their companion. To confess to them. To confront them. To celebrate them. And to commit to them. So be a good friend. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for these students. Thanks for the good news of the gospel that you actually did come um, and became a man and befriended your enemies. We pray that you would help us to do the same. Help us to, bef to befriend others, to be good friends. Would you rescue us from our loneliness? We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.